Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. If you're a fan of the Mandalorian, you know that the power comes with the black saber. Okay, I lost most of you. If you're a fan of Star Wars, the power comes from the Force. Very good. Very good. All right. If you haven't watched Mandalorian, come on, people. I mean, Grogu, right? Am I wrong? Y'all still don't know what I'm talking about. Baby Yoda. There's a Baby Yoda, and he's pretty awesome. And in the last episode, I'm not going to spoil it, but you got to watch the last episode of this season because Grogu is phenomenal in it. Can I get an amen? All right, so some of you watch it. So a lot of you, I just should have chosen another example. Anyway, Star Wars, the force, it's the power that's out there, right? If you were growing up in my age and a He-Man fan, it was the power of Grayskull. I have the power! Okay, none of y'all like that either. I don't know where you people... What planet did y'all live on? Were you not into He-Man and Star Wars? Okay, I'm a geek. I get it. Today we're going to talk about power, but we're going to talk about a different kind of power, and we're going to talk about what it is, where it, come from, where it comes from, and why we have it. Now, in our culture, power doesn't come from a saber or from castle, grayskull, or whatever else. I don't know. Power doesn't come from some invisible force that ripples throughout the universe that we call the force. Power is something different. Our culture says power is money. Our culture says that power is a blue mark, a blue check mark. Well, either that or $8. It means one of the two. In our culture, power is how many diplomas you have or where you work or what kind of work you do. Power is power is having the right degree in the right field. All of those things are positions or, or places where power is derived from in our culture. Education money, status, all of those things, they equal power. And unfortunately, in our political system, power really is about what office you hold. So power in our culture is man-made. It is human-centric. But the power we're going to look at today is the real power, a power that's greater than any diploma on the wall, any number in your bank account. It's more powerful than any position you could ever hold. It's more powerful than the most powerful political positions, say that real fast, in our culture. Today we're going to look at the power that God sends. Now normally we would approach this message 40 days after Easter on Ascension Sunday, which is sometime in May. But we're not going to do that today because we're going to be moving on through another 
uh, back to our David and finishing off our David sermon series after the, the next couple of weeks. And so today we're going to look at the ascension. This is one of the most important aspects of the final chapter in Jesus's life on earth. I think all too often we downplay or we misunderstand just how powerful the ascension is and what it means for us and what it tells us about power. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Acts 1 verses 1 through 11. You can turn to your Bibles, follow on screen or on a smart device. Some of you guys have your phones. And if you're looking at your phone, I'm going to assume you're looking at the Bible app and not your text messages or Instagram. Or remembering to pay your $8 to get your blue powerful check mark. Acts 1 verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Full stop. Now, that's not a full stop here, but I want to stop here for a second. This gives us a really good peek into why these books were written. Luke and Acts were two volumes told by the same person, relating the story of Jesus and then the impact that Jesus had on his disciples and the impact said disciples had on first century Israel, first century Mediterranean area. So it's the movement from Jesus and then what his disciples did after that. Theophilus was someone that Luke was writing to. Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And this is the second volume, and he's moving from what Jesus did into what the disciples and, and uh, the apostles beyond that are about to do. And so he writes this book, and he says, Until the day when Jesus was taken up, after he had given commandments to the Holy Spirit, the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is showing up and interacting with the disciples and that group of people. And at this point, it's not 11 disciples, not 12 disciples. It's not just the 11 disciples. It's anybody that was following Jesus at the time. So he had this group. We don't know how large the group was, 70 plus maybe. But he was showing up and interacting with disciples. And he was teaching them why he had to suffer and die and what it meant. This is why, or this I think is is why we can say with credibility that we believe in the resurrection. It wasn't just one or two people that saw it. It was a whole group of people that interacted with him. And they interacted with this different Jesus. He was, he was the same, but he was different. Almost all of the people that interacted with him and that professed to interact with him died for that. Now, one or two people might die for a lie, but not a whole group of people. I don't know many people who would say, yeah, you know, um, that whole Jesus resurrected thing. Yeah, we lied about that. I mean, they would say that if they were facing torture, which many of them did, but none of them did. They all took on the torture. I don't know anybody that would al allow themselves to be tortured for a lie knowing that it was a lie. 
And so all of these people saw Jesus over 40 days, and he said, look, not long from now, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, so wait in Jerusalem. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So this is an important question, and it's a question about power. They're asking Jesus, now that you have been resurrected in this power, are you going to set up a geopolitical power that we've been expecting and waiting for? Is this what you're about to do? It was a question about how is your power going to be manifested now here on earth? They really thought that there would be a theocracy, that Jesus would be the resurrected God and that his power would reside on earth, that he would stay on earth, and that there would be this whole new kingdom set up that would be a theocracy with Jesus and the Father in the middle of it. And so they ask him, is this the time for your power to show up? Misunderstanding what Jesus' kingdom was all about. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. We don't know when the final consummation will be. We have no clue when the end of times will be. And anybody that tries to pull out some sort of chart and show you that it's happening soon, they lie. They don't know. We can try all we want to to predict what's happening and, and, and try to pick dates and, and say that this is pointing that way. But understand that even in the first century, the very things that they said were going to happen before the end of times were happening. So from every generation of Christians, they have been looking at their culture and their surroundings saying, oh, it's about to happen any time now. In fact, so much so that if you read Mark, he closes it with the expectation that Jesus is going to appear within the next few days ish. But Jesus says, look, hold up, slow your roll. I'm going to be doing a new thing. I'm going to recreate the heavens and the earth. There's going to be a a full consummation of my kingdom at one point, but it's not for me or anyone else to know when that's going to be. Here's what matters to you. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But you will receive power, will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word for power there is the same word that we get dynamite from. It's the same. Dynamos is the Greek word that's used here when Jesus speaks. It's the same explosive power that we've gotten our word dynamite from. It's, it's a power that changes everything around it. Around. It's a power that explodes outwards and, and ripples and has impact on everything it comes into contact with. That's what this power means. So I asked, what exactly is power? Where does it come from and, and what are we supposed to do with it? Why do we have this power? I think the first question what is power, is answered here. Real power, not the kind that hangs on the wall or that's in a bank account, but real power, not the status that we can earn for ourselves, not a political position. Real power is power that emanates from God. And the power of God at work in this world, quite simply put, is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is at work in us. The word for spirit is in the Old Testament is ruach. 
It also means to breathe. It's also the word that is used when it says that God breathed into humanity. Ruach is this life-giving breath. Think about it. You breathe in, you breathe out. You don't do that, you're not alive. Breath gives us oxygen. Oxygen makes everything work in our body, almost everything work in our body. Our body would shut down without it. Let's put it that way. Our body would shut down without oxygen, and it does. We have to breathe it in and exhale out, and that's how we live. And the same word for breath is the same word for spirit. In, in essence, real life comes from real life. Life that animates everything comes from God. That's the understanding here. So what is power? It's the power of God at work in this world. It's the power of God at work in you. And just as we have to have breath to live, the Holy Spirit comes and it gives us life spiritually. That's the whole idea here. So what is real power? Real power is the power of God at work in this world that radiates out, that it impacts everything it comes into contact with. Which I think goes to say that if the Holy Spirit is at work in you, then everybody you come in contact with comes in connection with, in contact with the power of God. When I was in college, one of my mentors said that it's like gravity, that the Spirit of God at work in you has a gravitational pull. It's a spiritual gravitational pull that pulls people towards, not you, but towards Christ in you. That's real power. And it's not power that we can earn or manufacture. It's not power that anybody else can give us but one. It's the power of God at work in you through the Holy Spirit that impacts everything it comes into contact with. That's what power is. And where does it come from? It comes from one place and one place only. It comes from God. It doesn't come from a higher learning institution. It doesn't come from votes. It doesn't come from $8 and a blue check mark. It doesn't come from any other source. Real power Real power, real authentic power comes only from God. Our world doesn't function anymore without power. If you were to shut down the hydropower plants in Alabama, we would lose about a third of our power. If you shut down the coal burning plants, in Alabama, I think you would shut down about another, what is it, 50%? I don't know. It's been a while since I've looked at these numbers. If you shut down the nuclear power in our uh, state up north, you would shut down like another 20% of power, 10%, somewhere in there. I can't remember the percentages exactly. But three areas, those three areas are the large majority of our power where it comes from in the state of Alabama. Any one of those three get, get taken out, a good portion of our state doesn't have power. I have a solar power watch for when I hike, but if it's a if it's a cloudy day, I don't get much power in that thing.
power doesn't come from a nuclear plant, it doesn't come from burning coal, and it doesn't come from hydropower that's, that's dammed up and made two beautiful lakes in central Alabama that you can go and have a part of right now. <clears throat> go and enjoy Lake Martin. That's where our source of power for lights and air conditioning, and we're thankful for it, but that's not where real power comes from. If we lost all of that, we could still survive. Now, it might be hard, it might be uncomfortable, but we could still, still survive. You take away the power of God, and this world falls apart. It's pure chaos. In fact, that is a theological understanding that we call prevenient grace. It's the grace of God that prevents the world from going into sheer and complete chaos. I mean, it's pretty chaotic, and there's a lot of bad things that happen, but the point is, is if God wasn't involved at all in the world, it would be just spin out of control chaos. C.S. Lewis says, it's the argument for moral law that if you take out God, and there's a lot of people that argue, this is, there have been books and books and books written about this, but in C.S. Lewis's mind, which he makes a brilliant argument for, that you remove the moral law that comes from God, then you have sheer chaos, that humans in and of ourselves are incapable of really creating true moral law. That's, prevenient, that's his version of prevenient grace. God prevents us from sheer chaos and out of control. That's power. That's where it comes from. Without that power, we can't survive. So we've talked about what it is and where it comes from, but why do we have it? And it says right here, why do we have power? To impact the world. To change lives. To change communities. To change our world. God's power is given to us so that we have a purpose. And that purpose is to stop the chaos. That purpose is to tend his garden. Guys, I don't know what weird theology you have about heaven, but scripture talks about heaven being here, a remaking of earth, that it's going to go back to what it once was. No green new deal can get us there. Only the power of God can. And the vision of heaven that Jesus talks about and that Paul talks about is that it's a new earth. This is our garden. We must be good stewards of it. He's given us power to be good stewards of relationships, good stewards of the, of, of the world around us, good stewards of, uh, of our life, good stu stewards of our abilities. He's created you with certain passions and with certain strengths, and where your strengths, experience, and passion intersect the needs of the world, that is a powerful intersection for where God's power and His work can move mightily in you. Where your strengths, your passion, and your experience intersects the needs of the world, that is a sweet spot, and the Holy Spirit can do amazing things through that. So, why do we have the Holy Spirit? To change our world. You will be my witnesses. Now we read this oftentimes and we think that being a witness means, let me tell you about Jesus. 
Let me tell you what you're doing wrong and what I'm doing right and how Jesus can save you. That's not what a witness is. A witness is when we live like Christ. When our lives mirror the, mirror the life of Christ. When people see in us servanthood and love and grace. When people see us telling the truth, the hard truths, but doing it in love. Some people have made this image of Jesus as some namby-pamby who never uh, confronts anybody. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Jesus confronted people. um, Yeah, the man you're living with now isn't your husband. Go and sin no more. That's what he says. He confronts it, but he does it in love. When we live like Christ, we become his witness. When we tell the truth in love, when we reach out in service to the world around us, when we use our gifts to do good things, guys, the world is desperate. The world is desperate for people living out the truth of Jesus, and they just don't realize it. But we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit in us that impacts those things that we come into contact with, and that power comes from one place and one source only, and it's God. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us. We can't do it on our own. But the disciples had to go and wait for it. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to send this to you. Because there was one more step in the process that had to happen before the power of the Holy Spirit could come. And that was the ascension. Jesus, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. Well, that authority is when he ascends back to the Father. And in that reconnection with the Father, Jesus now opens up the floodgate of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he tells the disciples to go back and wait. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, this is interesting in the original language. We think of Jesus, you know, them going like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Can you still seem like the space, anybody watched the SpaceX launch the other day? That was pretty awesome if you haven't watched it. The largest rocket ever. What is it, 40, 40 stories tall? It's the most powerful rocket that humans have ever built, and it flew for four minutes before it exploded. No, I mean, we laugh at the explosion, but they were just hoping it cleared liftoff. All these people were like, whoa, it got so high so fast that you couldn't even see it anymore. It, was, it, it, it fur, uh, traveled further than any rocket had traveled before because of all the power in it on an initial four-minute launch. You couldn't, it disappeared. And so we, we kind of think of Jesus as being SpaceX rocket going up. Oh, that's beautiful and awesome. But the words here in Greek sound more like the opening of a stage curtain. Not that Jesus went up, but that the clouds billowed in and that this other reality opened up and he was taken into it and the cloud fills in and 
he's gone. He's not in the sky. He's not somewhere beyond the furthest reaches of our telescopes. He's in another realm that sits touching ours. So when he ascends, he's really being brought back into the Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are reunited. And then... Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This other dimension. Not, why do you stand looking at the sky? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, and they waited. The Holy Spirit doesn't come until Jesus sits in his place of authority with the Father. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And now the Father gives deference to the Son who has authority in heaven and on earth, and that Son gives that authority and that power through the Holy Spirit. And he gives it to us. That's what power is. That's where it comes from. And that's what we're supposed to do with it. Please don't hear me say that you shouldn't have savings. That you shouldn't get degrees or... That you shouldn't pursue excellence in your life. That's not what I'm saying. But don't mistake real power for those things. Real power only comes from one place. Real power is the power of God at work in you. Real power is when you become more and more like Jesus. And real power is that power that exudes from you as you go and you impact the world around you. Go and bring the power of God with you wherever you go. And when you do, that thin place that separates our world And the realm of God becomes thinner and opens up. And the power of God comes rushing through. And that's what power is. And seniors, as you go, go pursuing that above all else. The power and the presence of God at work in you impacting our world for good so that it may be said of you the kingdom of God is near we hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful and as always don't just hear it but put it into practice until next time have a good one